1: Good morning, Brew Daily Show. I'm Neil Freiman. And I'm Toby Howell. On today's pod, we'll talk about the global ramifications of the war between Israel and Hamas.
0: Then for the third time in 54 years, a woman has won the Nobel Prize in economics. We'll tell you all about Claudia Golden's research right after this. It's Tuesday, October 10th. Let's ride. Toby, today is
1: 1010, also known as National Metric Day. The U.S. is still clinging to yards, gallons, and pounds. Why aren't we on the metric system?
0: Well, whenever Congress considered a bill that favored the metric system, it was actually stopped by big businesses who didn't want to go through the time-consuming and expensive process of changing the country's entire manufacturing system that was already based on one measuring system. Also, and this is true, people genuinely believe that the United States should keep our system because it sets us apart from other countries and symbolize our status as a world reader as a world leader rather than a follower I just like saying I'm 6'1", rather than 1.85 meters, so I'm Team Imperial. Yeah, can you imagine first and 10 meters? (laughs) Sounds horrible. All right, Neil, before we jump into the news today, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor, Yahoo Finance. Now we're fans of Yahoo Finance over here at MBD because it sets us up to succeed on this show every morning. I can get into the weeds on a certain stock and see if it's a contender for Stock of the Week Dog of the Week. And I can dig into the headlines to find arguments to support why I don't think Pickleball will ever be a real sport. So if you like going deeper than just the headlines, or you're a pickleball hater, check out finance.yahoo.com. That's finance.yahoo.com. Okay, we're going to begin today's show discussing
1: the story gripping the world, which is the outbreak of war between Israel and Hamas. The violence began on Saturday morning when Hamas terrorists launched launched a surprise attack from Gaza into Israel, massacring hundreds of people and taking dozens of civilians back to Gaza as hostages including children, the elderly, and American citizens. Hamas, which has control of the Gaza Strip and is considered a terrorist group by the U.S. and the EU, threatened yesterday to kill the hostages if Israel bombs Palestinian civilians unannounced. In response to what experts are calling its 9-11 or Pearl Harbor moment, Israel declared war on Hamas, mobilized hundreds of thousands of reservists and ordered a complete siege of Gaza, a small and densely populated strip of land home to more than two million Palestinians, most of whom live in horrific conditions. Israel and Egypt have maintained a blockade of Gaza for 17 years, and Israel said it would cut off food, fuel, and other supplies to the territory as it pummels it with airstrikes and seeks to dismantle Hamas. Already, those airstrikes have killed hundreds of Palestinians living in Gaza, including dozens of children. While this conflict is ostensibly regional, the impacts are global. Western leaders have condemned Hamas and asserted Israel's right to defend itself. Israel and Palestinian supporters have staged dueling protests in cities like New York and London. Tensions are running high on American college campuses. U2, performing in the Las Vegas sphere this weekend, changed the lyrics of one of its songs in memory of the 260 people killed by Hamas at a music festival on Saturday. A big question for investors is whether this conflict will escalate beyond Israel and Gaza to become a proxy war between major global powers. That concern is already impacting global markets. Oil prices have jumped early this week over concerns major crude producer Iran might get involved. Iran has supplied Hamas with weapons and technology for decades and there are some rumbles. It played an active role in this attack.
0: Yeah, it has been very interesting to see how the global markets have been reacting to this conflict. Obviously, you had defense stocks that kind of jumped right on the news of of uh, conflict breaking out, Northrop Grumman, Lockheed Martin, Raytheon all opened the green. They actually all led the S and P as the top five performers yesterday as well. But then you also have some industries that you wouldn't immediately think about. Obviously, we talked about the oil and defense, but there's also fertilizer markets. stocks jumped because there's a port just north of Gaza that's kind of a key hub for fertilizer exports. So as much as 3% of the global potash fertilizer, which is a potassium-based fertilizer, comes kind of out of that area. So it is interesting to see how not only is it the the markets that you would immediately think about oil and defense stocks, you mm-hmm. also have some of these other—it reminds me of when war broke out yeah. in Ukraine— uh, the grain markets kind of were thrown into whack. So there are these other secondary like commodities that flow through these regions that you wouldn't necessarily think about.
1: Yeah, I want to talk about Iran uh, for a second and its impact on oil and other things uh... iran has backed hamas for a long time and what's happened in israel in that region is israel has normalized a lot of their uh... diplomatic and economic relationships with its former enemies countries like the u a e and other countries in north africa that uh... it had not had diplomatic or economic ties with Israel is a major economic power. So is. So are Gulf states like the UAE, they've come, become closer together. And there was a push by the U.S. to normalize economic relations and diplomatic relations with the Saudis, which would be this huge partnership that had been deemed unthinkable for decades. Iran and Saudi Arabia do not get along. And the theory here is Hamas attacked with the support of Iran to derail that US led deal to normalize relations between the US and Saudis. And that sort of th- those negotiations appear to be put on ice because of this.
0: The other angle I want to talk about too is the misinformation that was potentially spreading on mostly Twitter um, over the weekend. A lot of people were going to Twitter for real time updates about the conflict, but it was kind of a bit of a disaster because remember, Elon ditched the former verification system that gave blue checks to people who were verified people, reporters, people you could trust for information. But now anyone can pay for it. So there was a lot of misinformation circulating. A fake White House press release at one point was was making the rounds. And then at one point, Elon himself directed people to an account that was known for spreading misinformation. So it was kind of this come to like, oh my gosh moment for Twitter. It used to be this very reliable place to get real-time updates. And suddenly... In one of the more uh, real time evolving uh, conflicts of modern, of the Elon right. era, it did not perform very right. well. Right. And
1: these open source intelligence researchers who were, who were so instrumental in bringing us information in real time for things like the war in Ukraine and uh, other conflicts around the world are spending most of their time not geolocating important events, but fact checking right. debunked videos from three or four years ago. Uh, so it is a huge problem. And uh, Elon has definitely. Uh, not helped because he also uh, directed Twitter users to two accounts that are known for spreading disinformation and being anti-Semitic. So he's not helping his cause at all as being a reliable platform. A lot of people went to Meta's uh, rival threads over the weekend, but that is still yet to show itself as a reliable uh, mm-hmm. news uh, news social platform because Instagram and Meta the leaders themselves have said, that news is not something they want to prioritize. So this is a conflict that appears to be going on for weeks and months, and the fallout will be huge and global.
0: Neil, let's move on to our next story. Now, we know that some of you listening to this are coming off a long weekend, and three days is a long time in the world of businesses. so we are going to do a little recap for anything you might have missed to get you back up to speed. Neil, you won the pregame competition of who can recite the most digits of Pi, so lead us off first with our story that we missed from the weekend.
1: All right, so the leaves have just started to turn color, but the holiday shopping season has already kicked into high gear, not to stress you out or anything. Amazon, Walmart, Target, Home Depot, Best Buy, and other big retailers are launching their holiday mega deals this week to help you knock out your gift buying way before Black Friday. Holiday shopping creeping earlier in the calendar has been happening 40 years, but COVID and the surge in e-commerce put an end to the idea that you should wait until after Thanksgiving for purchasing gifts. Another culprit of this shopping creep is, of course, Amazon, which has decided to do another Prime Day event for holidays shopping in October. That starts today. And that, of course, means that everyone else has to follow in Amazon's footsteps and move their sales earlier in the year. Spreading out holiday purchases may be what consumers want, though, as budgets tighten up from inflation, student loan repayments, depleted savings reserves, and everything else we've talked about on this podcast for weeks.
0: It's such a vicious cycle. As soon as one retailer, mainly Amazon, moves their uh prime day or their holiday uh, sales period earlier then the others have to react so i swear that next year we're going to be doing our christmas shopping in july because it's just this never ending cycle of people moving ever earlier all right, Neil, for our next story, I want to tell the people about the 23andMe data breach that happened last week. More than 7 million customers had their data exposed, with those of Ashkenazi Jewish ancestry specifically targeted. The hackers then turned around and listed the data for sale, asking between a dollar and ten dollars per account from buyers. The hackers reportedly got access to the data by credential stuffing, which is when you get login information from one site or leak, then kind of bulk test them out on other sites to see what you can dig up. Neil, cyber attacks have been a theme in recent months, but anytime there's genetic data involved, it's definitely concerning. Yeah. The problem here, the reason they were, they seem
1: to be able to get so many accounts Uh, information without actually hacking 23andMe because 23andMe said, look, they didn't didn't hack us. They use this credential stuffing method is this feature called DNA relatives, which allows you to share your genetic information uh, to the public, essentially, uh, to find any matches for relatives. So what makes 23andMe useful in some cases also exposes it Mm -hmm. to to other uh, security problems. So
0: they were telling people also back up. Do you use two-factor authentication, yeah. and then also don't use the same password for all these sites. So Neil, no more morning brew daily one two three
1: four out of you. It did. it did make me think of the fact that I use you know every the yeah, same password just- for everything, and that's how that's how they, they were uh, they were compromised. Okay, uh, you might notice your local Walgreens is closed today, and that is because hundreds of pharmacists and pharmacy staff have walked off the job in protest of working conditions. The protest has led to store closures in certain states, but the company said the majority of its 9,000 locations remain open for business. Still, the walkout is a pattern of pharmacy employees saying enough is enough. The Walgreens walkout was inspired by a similar action at CVS in Kansas City, which prompted corporate staff to fly in and pledge to help out workers there. The problem, pharmacy employees say, is that they've been set up to fail. There isn't enough staff on hand to complete the many tasks they're asked to do, from administering COVID and flu vaccines to filing hundreds of prescriptions all while dealing with impatient and sometimes violent customers. They say they are uh, they want more support from Walgreens, which acknowledges that staff are overworked.
0: The most interesting part of this to me is that there's no formal union leader or anyone to kind of coordinate publicly the, this movement. So they've been doing it on platforms like Reddit, Facebook. They're just organizing it themselves to kind of say, listen, people, we are the front lines of healthcare. They really are. We're not, we're not getting the support that that we need or deserve. All right, Neil, the final story in our weekend wrap-up segment is what I'm especially excited about because the men's world marathon record was broken this weekend in Chicago. Not only was it broken, it was demolished by over 30 seconds by a 23-year-old from Kenya named Kelvin Kiptum in just his third ever marathon. This was an insane run, Neil. He literally said after the race that the world record wasn't even on his mind going into it, but then he realized he was feeling good and almost ended up threatening that mythical two-hour barrier that has yet be broken in a certified marathon. Neil, although it's cool to see a world record broken, I am sad because my favorite runner, the GOAT, Elliot Kipchoge, lost the record and I'm 38 years old, I don't know if he's getting it back at it. Really? Don't you don't know? think so? Well,
1: anyway, the, the number that stood out to me is to do a marathon in two hours and 18 seconds. Or 18 minutes? 2 hours and 38 seconds. 2 hours and 38 seconds is the fact that this is a 4 minute and 34 second mile. Unbelievable. Right? Yeah, that that is the pace.
0: I I can't even fathom that. It is truly unfathomable. The question that always gets asked whenever these world records are getting broken is how much are the shoes factoring into play? And what was interesting is remember, two weeks ago, the the women's world record was broken, and that was broken by a woman wearing these new $500. Adidas shoes that are single-use five hundred dollars shoes because the foam is so delicate that it, as you as soon as you run one race in them they say it doesn't perform the same anymore. So I was a little nervous that Adidas was going to take over and that these shoes were truly mythical. But these were run the the Kip ran in the same old Nikes that again. Kind of set off this whole craze. They still have a carbon fiber plate in them, but there's always the shoe debate whenever these records are falling because they're falling literally like faster than ever.
1: Okay, so when is someone gonna break the two hour barrier? I'm
0: literally thinking next year, cause this this is his third marathon, he's only twenty three years old. I'm going to say with 100% certainty it's going to be broken at some point. (laughs) All right, you you heard the man. You heard the man here because he's 23. Kipchoge's 38, and he's been inching it down, so he's got a lot of years left. Truly amazing. All right, Neil, we have a quick break coming up, but stick around because we're talking Nobel Prize in economics after this.
1: Yesterday, the Nobel Prize in Economics was awarded to Claudia Golden, a Harvard professor who has largely shaped our thinking on the gender pay gap and why it persists even now as women have higher educational attainment than men in advanced economies. With her award, Golden is just the third woman to be awarded the economics prize since 1969 and the first woman to to win it solo. I follow a lot of economists on social media, and to a T, they said she was extremely deserving, and economists don't agree on anything. <laughs> One of Golden's key insights from her work is to show that women's wages are persistently lower than men's, a 13% deficit currently, mainly because of the unequal dynamic in child-rearing. Women's career prospects and earnings take a major hit because they are tasked with raising kids more than Men are. Here's an example. In one study, Golden and others looked at MBA students graduating from the University of Chicago from 1990 to 2006. Right after graduation, the researchers found no gender gap in employment for wages. But 10 years later, women had taken off an average of one year from work, while men had taken off only one and a half months. This implies that women take on the majority of childcare duties and get a wage penalty for doing so. Golden was instrumental in figuring out the, the gender pay gap.
0: Yeah, she explained the last 200 years of women in the workforce, essentially. Another thing I found interesting from her research was that women's participation in the workforce has not ticked upwards consistently it actually is a u-shaped graft so right in a, literally starting 200 years ago, in kind of in a more agrarian society women's participation was very high in the workforce because you just needed people to to farm the fields and to uh subsist in, a, in an economy like that but then it slowly ticked downwards as industrial industrialization hit, and then is now ticking back upwards, now that contraceptives, expanding education, and social norms have shifted a little bit, so it was, we kind of think about women's participation in the workforce as this thing that is always just growing, but it started very high decreased dramatically and then is back up and that's because the place of work changed
1: in when it was farming they the home and work were one and the same when industrialization happened and people started to work in factories that meant women had to leave the house to go to work and that is just untenable for many women uh so that's why you saw labor force participation drop in the early 20th century now it's back up and and this july actually women's labor force participation in the u.s hit a record high coming out of the pandemic that could change now with with this child care cliff, with a lot of the, mm-hmm. with $12 billion in funding from the U.S. government uh, drying up to support child care services. And we know that this could be a big deal because of Golden's research over the past 200 years and really identifying the key barriers for women's career prospects, which is... Really,
0: motherhood. Yeah, I am gonna miss Nobel Prize season. It was very fun talking. We got to talk about Nobel Prize in Medicine. Next year, we'll hit mathematics and some of the more deeper fields. But this this was fun. I'll I'll, I'll remember it until next and, year. And they always get a call early. They always
1: get a call call at four a.m. and oh. they're always <laughs> sleeping. I don't know why they don't just wait till seven or eight
0: a.m. in the east when people are awake in the east coast. I do love those calls though. When when they find out, it is it's it's, it's such a good feeling. All right, Neil. It is Tuesday, so we're gonna hit on hit the people with a little bit of toby's trends where i a young whippersnapper who can still touch his toes educate you a wise millennial with some tightness in his hamstrings about a trend that i've had my eye on recently and that trend is something called coffee badging so as we all know we live in an era where remote and hybrid work have settled in as part of the reality of working in america but What has also settled in as a reality is that 58% of hybrid workers admit to coffee badging, according to a survey from Owl Labs, which is when you go into the office for a morning coffee, check in and earn whatever imaginary badge you might get for showing face, then dip out and go work from home for the rest of the day. Now, there's a variety of reasons for doing this. People say they are more productive from home or they want to beat whatever hellish commute awaits them. But whatever the reason for people doing it, I'm happy they are because it gives us a chance to discuss this new trend, Neil. What do you, uh, this is a trend that's actually happening. Yeah. I mean for quite quitting
1: all that other stuff like bare minimum Mondays, all of that other workplace jargon stuff that's come uh, after COVID. I don't I I'm a little dubious about I see this happen every day, and I've admittedly done this myself many times. If you don't have a long commute, I I do want to kind of qualify this by saying, you need a not a long commute for this. You need to be in a particular white collar job. It is not available. Coffee batching is not available to, to the majority of the workforce. But if you're a white collar worker who's been called in three days a week, you know you can kind of just go in show face have a meeting or two and then dip back home
0: i'm kind of also into the idea of reverse coffee badging though oh, which is when you start the day from home kind of get most of your deep work done then you commute into the office at a a time where your commute is less bad and then finish out the day there i'm a big fan of changing locations for work like i don't like being in one place for too long so that's why i'll go to a coffee shop or stay in the office or go home so i'm into the idea of reverse coffee badging so that maybe is our trend for for next week i think
1: big tech big tech companies do not like this i mean bloomberg for example uh, checks your badge when you badge in and badge out so that there are certain workforces that are clamping down on this and not only checking that you come in three days a week as per requirements, but that you stay there the whole time. Right. Because, I don't know, I just have friends who work at Bloomberg and they're like, you know exactly when someone checks in and when someone checks out. And I think a, l- a lot of other big te- tech companies are are ramping up their ser- surveillance to require more yeah. you know, tapping
0: of the badges so they have a record of when you're there. I think that's such a bad idea. No one wants to feel like they're, uh, yeah, you're checking in for school or something like that, held against your will or something like that. I, th- I think that's a short-sighted, uh, Of course, it might increase productivity in the short run, but in the long run, I think you're alienating some of the trust aspects. So we support Coffee Badger. Yeah, I'm all in. (laughs) Okay, let's go finally to our week ahead section where it's Tuesday,
1: but we uh, we didn't have a live show yesterday. So let's just preview what you can expect for the week ahead because it is going to be busy. To start, let's skip ahead to Friday the 13th when Taylor Swift's Eras Tour movie hits theaters around the world. Even though it wasn't originally intended as a movie, it could be one of the biggest box office hits of the year considering that it has already sold a staggering $100 million in advanced tickets globally. If Swift's movie meets expectations, and shocker, I'm going to guess it will. It will cruise past Miley Cyrus's best of both worlds as the highest grossing concert film ever. Toby, how have we not gotten tickets yet? Uh, we haven't or gotten, do you, have you, and you just haven't told me?
0: Yeah, I haven't told you. I set it up with my other podcast host. But I just want to give a shout-out to Miley Cyrus here. That is a great trivia of what was the previous highest-grossing concert film ever. Would never in a million years have picked Miley Cyrus. She was big. Well, now it's just going to be the number two uh, right,
1: after, no, after this weekend. Um, also this week, earnings season is back, because if you miss when we talk about corporate earnings on this podcast, you're in luck, because Pepsi, Delta, Domino, and big banks headline the start of Q3 earnings season this week. The major themes will be how companies are responding to slowing inflation, a potential consumer spending pullback, and yeah, we'll probably hear a lot about AI too. As far as this week's reports are concerned, let's see if Pepsi mentions weight loss drugs like Wigovi. A number of analysts have warned that snack companies could take a hit as these appetite-suppressing treatments become more widely adopted.
0: Yeah, we'll see how many times Ozempic slash Wagovi is mentioned, but I also an interesting Domino's um, reports earnings next week, and I'm interested to see if their partnership with Uber Eats, from oh, yeah. that was a big deal. See if they actually in- increase their footprint through that partnership. So get hype for earnings, <laughs> yeah. The SBF trial also enters its second week
1: today, and the start witness could take the stand as early as today. That would be Caroline Ellison, the former CEO of SBF's hedge fund, Alameda Research, and his former girlfriend, Juicy. Her testimony could be damning for Sam.
0: Yeah, this thing is just getting into the, the good part, yeah. so I'm interested to see if we get any leaks or any quotes that come out of Caroline. What
1: else we got this week? Sports fans can really have it all. The feast includes MLB playoffs, the WNBA Finals, Rugby World Cup, the Cricket World Cup, and the start of the NHL regular season today, plus football, of course. We're in the span where there's 50 straight days uh, yeah. of football on every single day.
0: But I was watching rugby this weekend. Rugby's I sick. I, I turned on Samoa versus England, and I saw one of the coolest plays I've ever seen, and I'm, I might be hooked on rugby.
1: Rugby World Cup is going on in France, kind of the prelude to the Olympics next year. I don't know how many are infected with bedbugs. Oh boy, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Also, ugly shoes hit Wall Street as Birkenstock plans to IPO on Wednesday at a valuation of up to ten billion. What do you think Crocs is thinking?
0: I'm I'm <laughs> Team Birkenstock, so maybe we should come in and, and wear our our footwear of choice on the podcast. Yeah.
1: I only wear just these <laughs> sneakers every single day. Okay, on Saturday, people in the Western U.S. will be in for an astronomical treat because of a Ring of Fire solar eclipse. W-
0: what is the technical is Ring of Fire the technical term for this or is there no another? way? This okay, is just okay.
1: the way that scientists brand it, so we all pay attention. <laughs> um, uh, but a solar eclipse is very cool. Uh, either way, I don't think they need to brand it as a Ring of fire but it will get more people out also on Saturday SNL returns for its first show since the writer's strike began Pete Davidson will host with musical guest Ice Spice meanwhile the writer strike is officially over after guild members overwhelmingly approved their new contract with the Hollywood studios I love that SNL just went with old faithful Pete old Davidson. faithful yeah can't go wrong and Ice Spice who's not who's a new uh new faithful probably the 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 summer you know the non-Beyonce Taylor Swift music star of the summer okay that is is a wrap on today's show. Hope you have a great Tuesday and do something special for 1010. As always, please write us at Morning Brew Daily at morningbrew.com. Let's roll the credits. Emily Milliron is our editor and producer. Samantha Veles and Raymond Liu are associate producers. Yuchenua Ogu is our technical director. Billy Menino is on audio. Now that I think about it, Hair and Makeup is the ultimate coffee badger. Devin Emery is our chief content officer, and our show is a production of Morning Brew.
0: Great show today, Neil. Let's run it back tomorrow.